1: and then, obviously, we'll be back with our regular scheduled programming of assessing the matches after the Rayo Villacano game on the weekend. Um, so let's get into it. Let's talk. Um, we wanted to chat to you about um, about Saudi because the World Cup has been in Qatar. I wonder, Simon, if you have a perspective on what this our what the feeling is in Saudi with the World Cup being in Qatar this year.
2: One of the good things that's happened in the Gulf region over the last nearly two years is is that Saudi Arabia and Qatar made friends again. Yeah. Uh, And and I think that was really important for, for, for both countries and for the allies of both countries. It was important for Qatar because... Saudi Arabia is one of the big football powerhouses in the Gulf region. If you look at some of those top games in, in Saudi Arabia, they're pulling attendances of 50 or 60,000. And, uh, and as many of your listeners will, will probably know by now, there are huge numbers of, of Saudi Arabian fans in Qatar as a consequence of that. So Qatar really, really needed. Saudi Arabia to be back on side and, and for those thousands and thousands of fans to be pouring over the border because obviously they contributed to the overall atmosphere of the tournament. Mm-hmm. From the Saudi Arabian side, uh, given given the size of the country, given its perception of itself, given its ambitions in, in, in sport and more specifically football, it had to be there and its fans had to be there and they had to be representing. And uh, if you've seen some of the uh, the, the, the TikTok uh, postings where Saudi Arabian fans are, are jumping up and down in the in the fan zone, dancing to music, uh, you know, that's that's why Saudi Arabia needed to be there. They were, I think, they were positively represented, and obviously, winning important games is is uh, is, a, is a key part of this too. So, um, if we can call it bilateral, there was a there was a bilateral need. <laughs> for them both to, uh, to, to to kind of put their arms around each other and embrace one another. and, and, and they did that and, it, and I think it worked for both. Inside Saudi Arabia, big, big is, is the simple word. Um, mm. So there were spe- there were 20 fan zones set up in Riyadh alone. Wow. Uh, so, you know, this is this is incredible. I mean, if you think about a country like France, for instance, that, that decided not to have fan zones because the World Cup was in Qatar. You know, by contrast, in Saudi Arabia, in Riyadh, there were 20 fan zones. And these were supported by big brands like Coca-Cola and and, and others. So I, I think inside Saudi Arabia, a lot of excitement. It, it was great that Saudi Arabia qualif- qualified. It was good that the, the two countries were talking to one another. Um but I think one of the things to stress is, is that Saudi Arabians, women and men, and I think it's important to stress the women part of that, yeah. are huge, huge football fans. There is a football culture there, believe me.
1: And is that is that something that's relatively new in Saudi or is that something that's been there for decades and we're just getting to sort of see it now?
2: It's been there for decades um, it's, it's not just emerged. And, and, and I think the, the thing is, is a lot of the, the world has focused its attention on Qatar. And, and keep in mind, in Qatar, there are, there are only 300,000 Qataris. You know, it, it's, I mean, it just seems bizarre that there are 300,000 Qataris in the entire world. So inevitably, when, when the media, when inquisitive fans from around the world looked at Qatar, they would look at Qatar Stars League games, and they would think, well, look, you know, al Saad coached previously by Jabi, who's now at barcelona they've only got a thousand two hundred people at a game you know there's no football culture in this country right you know it's very simple there are not that many people in qatar you know there, there are not many qataris and i know that leads on to a whole bunch of other issues but by comparison uh, there are 35 million people in in saudi arabia so you know we, we're talking about a country you know kind of the size of say poland for example um and there are all manner of fans there. There are the kind of transient fans that you know, sometimes take an interest, sometimes don't. There are those fans that follow the big clubs because, of course, you know, everybody loves Man United. Everybody, everybody loves Arsenal. Um, you know Those kinds of fans. Yeah, yeah. But at the same time, I, I, I've met many of them. You know, some of them have been my students. Some of them have been people like that that I work with. You know, hardcore fans in exactly mm-hmm. the same way as Newcastle fans, Arsenal and fans, Middlesbrough fans.
1: And so, what would be what's next then for Saudi Arabia and football, including in UFC? Are we seeing like more black and white strips in Riyadh now? Uh, I mean, we're I mean by virtue of the takeover, but also the fact that Newcastle are doing really well; they're in the top three. Like, how's that looking out there?
2: So you've got to keep in mind, I'm a, I'm, I'm a, a British guy in Paris. Um, my, yes. lo, my local club's rubbish. You know, they, they, they've, got, <laughs> they've got one of the world's worst forward lines. You know, and I, they, it literally is the local club because it's, it's 10 minutes away from, from where I work. Um, Amazing. And, and I spend, you know, quite, I've spent quite a lot of time in the Gulf region over the last 12, 13, 14 years, mm-hmm. including in Qatar. And, and it's really interesting. In Qatar, Paris Saint-Germain has become the local club. Uh, because essentially uh, those those Qatar Stars League clubs they're, they're okay and, and Al Sad, which is is the biggest club, has done reasonably well in the uh, um, the Asian Champions League, um, and so you do see people walking around Doha you know with their PSG tops on because PSG is the local club in, in Doha, <laughs> uh, and 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 I think you are getting the same thing to a certain extent in Saudi Arabia, particularly in the big urban centres, right? But as I say, of course, what you've got is is, is you know, some pretty big clubs in in Saudi Arabia that that are drawing pretty big crowds. I think one of the things that the the Saudi Arabian clubs don't do particularly well is is win internationally. Mm -hmm. And so then they're not necessarily Asian Champions League behemoths. And that's one of the things that Saudi Arabia wants to change. So if you go back five, six years ago, and this remains ongoing. Is the Saudi Arabian government and the Saudi Arabian FA actually want their clubs to be amongst the biggest, certainly in Asia, but possibly even in the world? Right. And so, when we get Deloitte Annual Money League, you know, we don't we don't just get, get European clubs in there. We also get Saudi Arabian clubs as well. And right. I think that would be the end goal for them. But this, the, the the standard of management is not good. The way in which the clubs operate are not good. Uh, and most of the the Saudi Arabian Pro League clubs are, are dependent upon state handouts, and and you know, I, I think it was just last year that uh, effectively the state stepped in and uh, and wiped out the debts of every single club in the Saudi Arabian Pro League. Now this is great, you know it's a bit it's a, it's a bit like Rishi Sunak saying to the northeast clubs, "Tell you what, I'll write off your debts for you, and you know and, and carry on." Um, oh my God, so. This is a problem for Saudi Arabia because what it does is it is it is it embeds within the culture of football. You know, it doesn't matter how you are. It doesn't matter what you do. It, matter, it doesn't matter what costs you have. It's OK. The government will look after you.
1: Right. Unlike a sort of like a more bringing it home level, it's like a sibling who gets into credit card debt and your parents just pay it off and they do it again right yeah absolutely Absolutely. you don't learn the lesson
2: and and so part of the big picture because obviously the saudi arabian story in sports and it it doesn't just include newcastle united it includes lots of things like you know motor racing and and Mm -hmm. you know mega events and facilities and all this kind of thing but the fundamental story or one of the fundamental stories is is that Saudi Arabia wants to promote a more entrepreneurial culture amongst its population? Because of, right. course of, you know, of course, the state the state looks after you; it bails you out every single time. And so, one of the one of the components of this is is they do want their their clubs to be thinking much more about you know how do we make money, how do we gener- generate revenue, and at the same time thinking about well how do we control costs and how do we operate in a much more rational economic way. So. Um, so I, I think there are big changes taking place in Saudi Arabia. Football is important. There are there are massive, uh, you know, massive number of fans there. I, I, I think in terms of Newcastle United in the Premier League, we do tend to kind of somewhat glibly use this phrase "best league in the world." Um, mm-hmm. But but when you go around the world, you know, people do very often believe this, and and yeah. so for them to have an association with what they see as being the best league in the world. And for Saudi Arabia, or if we can put it another way, brand Saudi Arabia to be on TV or on the internet, you know, every Saturday or every Wednesday, you know, is a really right. important thing to them. It makes them look good.
1: And do you think there's an element of, um, like, going out and buying a club in a different league, you know, obviously, obviously it wasn't the state of Saudi Arabia. It was the public investment fund of Saudi Arabia, which is very different, which we've all been told is very, very different. <laughs> Do you think that going out and buying a club like Newcastle um, in a different league is, I mean, there's designs on it that are, you know, to, to make themselves look good on the world stage and things like that. But are there also sort of lessons to be brought back into Saudi Arabia, into the national football teams there from owning a club elsewhere?
2: Well, some of you, some of your listeners, uh, may remember back to the two thousand and eighteen World Cup in Russia when Saudi Arabia also qualified. They played in the opening game against Russia. They 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 got a, a, you know an absolute spanking in that first game, yeah. um, but prior to the tournament. Uh, a number of players, if I remember correctly, six maybe seven players had been sent on loan to uh, to, to to clubs in La Liga in Spain right. to to help improve and develop them. Um, it's really interesting because Spanish clubs have got a very good relationship with uh, with Saudi Arabia, uh, and 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 for a long time they've been staging games there. The Saudi Arabian sorry the the Spanish Super Cup um, has been held in in in, in the country a, a couple of times. Um, and and so there is this kind of uh, it's not just about buying clubs and 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 making money and making yourself look good worldwide. It is also about equipping your own players for the skills that they need to compete more effectively. Right. I think I think for, for, for Saudi Arabia, you know, the first thing is 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 players become better, they become more skillful, they become more competent. But then that one, that will translate in terms of I think two things, the Saudi Arabian national team will play better. Right. See, you know, we, we're beginning to see some evidence of that following this World Cup, but at the same time, I, I always think one of the acid tests, certainly for club football in a country like Saudi Arabia, is the Asian Champions League. Right. Um, and and you know, we obviously know Juventus and Bayern Munich and 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 Chelsea and other such clubs competing in the European Champions League, but for a lot of Asian football fans, you know, if you think about some of the Japanese clubs, the South Korean clubs. Iranian clubs which are also very strong Uh, what Saudi Arabia wants to be doing is it is for its teams its domestic club teams to be able to compete and to win against these kind of big clubs from across Asia
1: right it's really interesting and it'll be an interesting one to kind of keep an eye on about how they're how they're starting to improve how they might be climbing up that
2: I mean obviously I I think in, in national team terms keep an eye on FIFA ranking yeah uh, but, but in terms of uh, in terms of club team football, I, I guess a couple of things. You know first thing is, is take a look at those attendances for, for the Saudi Pro League um, mm-hmm. because as I say at the top end you are talking about 50, 55,000 60,000 people on average going to watch a game. Uh, but otherwise keep looking out for the uh, Asian Football Confederation uh, competition draws you so the Asian Champions League, for example. and, 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 and I think uh, one of the barometers,
0: Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com.
2: Developing is how far their club teams go, how deeply they go into those, uh, those kinds of tournaments.
1: Interesting. We will. I'm sure I and all of our listeners will keep an eye on that. I definitely will. I think. I don't want to do. make life
2: complicated for people, you know, but, you know, you've got, you, you, got, you, you, you've got to fill your time with something, right? So we'll you, might as well, you, might as, you might as well look at Saudi Arabian football scores.
1: Why on earth not? I'm sure that there are lots of people who do. If only we still had CFAX and it was just like one of those, like page one of 85 and it was just football
2: transfer window coming. We need we need CFAX page three, one, <laughs> two to come back again.
1: <laughs> oh, those are the days. I remember being on holiday with my parents in Egypt one Christmas and my dad watching a match on CFAX because he couldn't get it. So it was just like refreshing the scores every whatever amount of time, just watch the CFAX. Well, as, my, as my
2: son calls it, the poor man's internet. Um, <laughs> but but, but, but also, you might remember that Gary Lineker used to talk about uh, Wimbledon back in the uh, back in the Vinnie Jones days mm-hmm. and uh, said the best way to watch Wimbledon was on CFAX.
1: Amazing. We should bring it back. I'm, I'm sure it still exists, actually. Let's talk more domestic now, though, and uh, get away from CFAX. Um, what do you make of reports that PIF were interested in buying Man United? Obviously, the Glazers have said Man United is up for sale. We don't want it anymore. Possibly a result of the Super League being kiboshed, possibly a result of Saudi Arabia now being involved in Newcastle United, there are lots of rumours swirling around. There's also Liverpool. F- FSG have put, you know, at least a portion of Liverpool up for sale. A lot of people are saying that's a result of Saudi having an involvement in Newcastle. Is it the case that with the numbers involved, really no one else can buy a football club now? Um,
2: I I do think that uh, if we're looking at Manchester United in particular. It, currently, it's overvalued, and and the kinds of figures that we're we're hearing, you know, it, it does tend to suggest it's overvalued. And one of the things that's important to to stress about about Saudi Arabians and Qataris and and you know, obviously investors from the United Arab Emirates and elsewhere is, is they're not daft. So if 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 somebody says to them, uh, you know, here's a club, six billion dollars to you. You know, they don't just say, "Okay, fine, we'll pay it." Yeah, you know, they—they keep in mind, and and I, I I mean this in you know entirely respectfully. Um, they they are investors from cultures that typically you know they they understand hard bargaining, and and so you know to just see a story 6 million bid for Manchester United or 6 billion investment in Liverpool, you know, it's, it's number one, it's, it's overvalued. Number two, these people will drive a hard bargain. They're not just going to say yes. You, you mentioned earlier, or you, allu- you alluded to it earlier about is, is PIF state, state related or not um, without wanting to be too controversial. You know, it's, 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 a. You know, if 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 PIF is uh, if Piff is non-state, then um, you know it's sat in your front garden waiting to come in through the front door. Um, you know it's kind of that close. Yeah. But 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 uh, but I think for me, what was always significant about about the takeover of Newcastle United is is how political it ultimately became, and we do know that now we do know that the Boris Johnson government stepped in. Yeah. And post Brexit uh, you know, we obviously need inward investment and Johnson, the Johnson government enabled it to happen for that reason and, and you know great for Newcastle United and its fans um, but I think there was a broader context to it and the reason for saying this and, and, and repeating it again is, is whatever might happen at Manchester United or Liverpool I think may well depend on the government
1: oh interesting okay
2: and and it would be worthwhile keeping an eye on uh, on Rishi Sunak and, and seeing where he goes and who he meets, or alternatively, you know, members of his government seeing where they go and who they meet. Because, you know, in reality, in our world, if you want something to happen, you can make it happen. You, you might have to negotiate and politic, and maybe cash might even be involved. And I don't mean that in an illegal way. Mm. But, you know, you can make things happen if you need to make things happen. But, of course, the, the issue is, is, is if PIF... Let's say PIF does have an interest in Manchester United. One of three things is going to happen. Um, Either it just doesn't buy Manchester United because it already owns Newcastle United. Uh, Number two, it sells Newcastle United and and buys Manchester United. Um, Or the other way is is they try to navigate through a maze of of complexity. And, And what that would require is... Let's imagine that they do bid for Manchester United. They would have to make an application through the Premier League, owners and directors test, all of those things that you already know about. And the Premier League would presumably say, hold on a minute, no, you already own Newcastle United. That's not possible. Um, So in that case, and and, and it's worthwhile just reminding ourselves of of the rules regarding multi-club ownership within Britain, Mm -hmm. which is if you own more than 50% of one club, you can't own more than 10% of another. Right so that, that 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 that's an important detail however you know if if rishi rishi and mohammed bin salman have been meeting and chatting and talking trade deals um, then you know, there is a possibility that sunak could lean on the premier league and and and, and the saudi arabians could find a different vehicle uh, through which to acquire manchester united and, and keep in mind you obviously piff is there are 35 million people in saudi arabia pif is just one organization in a country of 35 million people yeah. and 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 so there may be other means through which to acquire manchester united and and what's really interesting about it for me is is if you go back to 2015 16 17 when you had lots of chinese investors mm. suddenly moving in on english clubs the premier league employed forensic investigators to try and identify if there were any links between these clubs and the Chinese government. Because what the Premier League was concerned about is that you know, the guys at Wolves, the guys at Aston Villa, you know, the guys at Southampton, there were Chinese investors at Reading at one time, that somehow they were all working for the Chinese government. So I think if 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 that interest, if that Saudi Arabian interest in Liverpool, Manchester United begins to firm up. Keep an eye on the Premier League because if they do employ forensic investigators to start looking at the links, you you'll know that it's serious. You'll know that that whoever in Saudi Arabia is taking a look at these clubs is is serious. So you know there's there's, there's a lot to it.
1: It's it's just kind of mad to me that like, and this probably <laughs> probably sounds a bit juvenile and and whatever, but the, the Premier League has sort of become this body that hires forensic investigators to investigate whether or not a country is a country's government is involved in it I mean it's football I mean I know it's it's, it just feels like it's almost like spirals out of control
2: so I am a I'm a (laughs) Northeasterner um you kick the ball right that's what it's all about (laughs) Uh, you, you kick the ball and 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 if you're, obviously if you if you're me you know, you try and kick the ball in the direction of the goal and and do incredibly badly at doing it but you know, <laughs> kick the ball and and immediately I'm thinking about uh, Sunderland you know, Sunderland when when Sunderland was owned by Tommy Cowie you know you didn't have these problems he owned a local yeah. chain the chain of local garages come on you know and and I remember my parents buying a car from Cowies um, you know that's how it was but of course we I think we now live in a world that is that is very different certainly people of my age, if you're talking 70s, 80s, 90s, the world is a very different place. And, and clearly we've had this influx of um, new investors, not just from the Gulf, but from China, as we've mentioned, also US yeah. private equity investors. And I guess the the, the issue that we have is, is that essentially our rules are created domestically and applied domestically, but we have global institutions that are moving in. And so there is a question, I think, for us to ask as a country, and certainly the the Premier League has got to be constantly vigilant to this, is are our rules and is our system of governance Appropriate and fit for purpose, and we saw with with the first PIF move for for Newcastle in in the summer of 2020, as as we're now beginning to see potentially with 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 stories of Manchester United and and uh, Liverpool, as we saw with Roman Abramovich at Chelsea. Yeah, back in um,
1: 2003.
2: Well, not just in 2003, but obviously earlier this year when he was sanctioned. Yeah, and and this is all a consequence of this globalized world in which we now live, and and. And I I think it's an inconvenient truth for us as English people that your best league in the world that we very often talk about, uh, if you are the best league in the world, then that attracts interest, it attracts investors, it attracts unscrupulous individuals. And and, we we do need to have sets of rules that guard against those unscrupulous individuals. But of course, that creates problems and challenges and contradictions and, and it would be interested to see how we get through this next period given given the stories that we now read
1: Yeah, it just feels like a lack of foresight on the Premier League's part that if they were going to you know, when the Premier League sort of started in the 90s this is this this was their goal, right? To be, be the best league in the world to be this sort of like money-making was it not?
2: In so the- it, so in, the, in 1990 there was a report Somewhere very deep in the piles in my office, yeah. I have a copy of this report. It's called the. It was called the Blueprint for the Future of Football, um, and the headline was, "We can make more money from football." And you know, and and right. it's past, so it's passed the Ron Seal test. You know, they made yeah. money, you know, we, we people and organisations. You know, they, we're making money from football. They're making money from football. So, yeah. you know, we in some ways, you know, we can't complain. You know, we got we got what we wanted. Um, but as I said, of course, that then draws in people who are not necessarily football fans. It draws in unscrupulous individuals. Right. You know, if you go back to, you know, I'm, I'm thinking about immediately about Portsmouth and, and the Portsmouth ownership by the Guidermack family, and and father Guidermack, whose name I can't, first name I can't remember. Yeah. There were stories oh, that he was father. he was involved in illegal gun running. Oh, um, and and uh, Sasha Geidemach, who was the owner of Portsmouth, was somehow involved in this, and that's why he bought the club. Now, you know, I, I don't know what ultimately was proved or, or disproved, but you know, clearly there are people who hang around football who are not necessarily there for the same reasons as we might be there as Northeastern, as in supporting the club in the first place.
3: Alex here from this podcast, but not this one, as you've heard. I'm just going to leave you a really, really quick message to say please come and join us on our Patreon platform it starts at £3 a month these shows are ad-free £5 a month gets you half of our additional content and £8 a month gets you all of our additional content. What of we had the last week or so is we'll build back up to the Premier League season starting again we've had Craig Hope telling us about his trip to Saudi Arabia seeing Newcastle lift silverware giving us the state of play with the squad with the team who smashed those lads in Saudi Arabia 5-0. We've done a part one of a preview of every single fixture of the season to come as we're geared back up to start smashing teams again. This week we've got a Bournemouth preview, we've got an instant reaction of Rayo Valicano at home, we've got the best of Boxing Day Newcastle United, all of it on True Faith Patron. Please come and join us, we'd love to have you along. Thanks for listening.
1: It's very interesting. I could talk to you for hours about this, but um, I, I realize that you probably don't want to do that right now and um, and we should bring it back to Newcastle United. just quickly, while we while we're sort of on the topic of PIF and possible involvement in Manu, they had they had been sort of linked with Manu before. Before they were linked with, well, they've been linked with a couple of, like Liverpool, Man U. Before they were linked with Newcastle. Do you think that, or do you get a sense that there are any regrets from buying Newcastle, or do you think it's gone well so far and that there aren't any?
2: That's a really interesting question. I, I'm going to try and give a short answer, but but it might end up being long. Okay. Um, if you if you go back to, to 2018, there were there were stories in in the, in the press. That uh, the public investment fund wanted to buy Manchester United. Yeah, and and certainly, if you look at the research, and and and, and I, uh, I've I've researched amongst fans in the Gulf region for you know best part of a decade, and, and whenever I've asked them, you know, what, who are your teams? Um, Liverpool and Manchester United in particular. Liverpool, Manchester United, Real Madrid, Barcelona, AC Milan, Juventus. Yeah, um, they were the big teams. And so if, you, if, you, if, if, if Piff could reset the clock to, uh, to zero and start all over again, you know, who would they buy? I think they would buy Manchester United. Um, but, of course, at the time when they were trying to acquire the club, the Glazers were saying, no, we're not prepared to, to sell. We're not prepared to sell. Now, the acquisition um, of Newcastle United, I don't think was strategic. I think it was opportunistic. Wow. Um, there was a there was a willing there was a willing buyer a willing seller and an extremely willing intermediary working between the two, and and if you if you look at if you look at what Saudi Arabia paid this is just small change for the Saudi Arabians, mm-hmm. three hundred million for a for a, for a Premier League club, you, know, you look at Manchester City and see what potentially you can do with this, um, you yep. know great really 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 interesting so. That's my simple answer. I think Saudi Arabia would have preferred to buy to buy Manchester United. However, they, they didn't, they bought Newcastle United. And I've I've thought about this long and hard, and and, and I speak as somebody who knows the northeastern Newcastle well, but I also worked in Manchester too. And and other than the club, I don't see what is in Manchester for the Saudi Arabians. And what I mean by that is, is if you look at, for example, property development, Abu Dhabi is already there. And mm-hmm. if anybody's been in Manchester recently, you'll know it looks like the Abu Dhabi of the north. Yeah. You know, there are these kind of glass skyscrapers that, that were built by the Abu Dhabi um, investors in Manchester City. So you know, Manchester, I, I think, economically is in a different place to the northeast it's in a different place to newcastle yeah and and the reason i say this is i think that when these gulf investors buy clubs they don't just think "Oh, i've got a trophy asset fantastic what they're looking to do is is for other investment opportunities and what we know about newcastle is is locally the infrastructure is not as well developed as in manchester so Mm -hmm. there are opportunities there we look at the port in newcastle which manchester doesn't have there is an opportunity there and and the public investment fund is investing in container hubs around the world so this is something that newcastle has in its favor i think it's one of the reasons why they're there but the other thing as well that that not just newcastle but the northeast more generally has is a big they're committing big on alternative sources of energy right and this is something that saudi arabia is really into as well um, and 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 Manchester doesn't have that. And if you were to say to me, Simon, okay, so they they are, they're going to keep Newcastle United, might they buy another club, or might they attempt to invest in another another club? For me, it is almost as though Liverpool is the more attractive proposition than Manchester, because Liverpool has also got. A port. Mm-hmm. It's 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 also got lots of opportunities for local infrastructural development. There are ways in which you can expand and develop that you can't in Manchester. I think Manchester was was you know as I said, Abu Dhabi moved in on Manchester, but you've also got the BBC and Media City and lots of other investors involved in in the city. So I was interviewed by the Athletic a couple of weeks ago, and some people who listen to the podcast will know this. and And, and it came it came out through in the report as though, i was saying that you know, they could piff could sell newcastle united i think it's still a possibility i'm not saying it's a, a distinct possibility but you know, yeah. there is always a the, one of the things that we know about the saudi arabians is they buy and sell assets the whole time so they bought a big chunk of, of facebook in 2020 then they sold it in 2021 and now they've just bought a big chunk of Facebook back again in, uh, in 2022. So, you know, they're in the business of buying and selling assets when they need to. But I, I think for me, I think they may, they may well keep Newcastle. They, they may well look to buy another club. But I do wonder whether they're looking more at Liverpool rather than Manchester United, because I think Liverpool, in terms of growth potential, particularly in terms of the relationship with the city and local infrastructure and the port, The port is absolutely crucial. Um, I think Liverpool is possibly the more attractive proposition than than Manchester.
1: So interesting. And also, Liverpool, the owners of Liverpool have said it's a stake that's up for grabs, right? It's not a full ownership. And so if we're looking at the multiple clubs, Tests that you mentioned before, perhaps they could get around it by getting their foot in the door there, or do you not think do you think they would not be interested?
2: Yeah, that, that's you know, Charlotte. That's a that's a really important point to make because, as I said earlier, if you look at ownership rules, you can own more than fifty percent of one club and less than ten percent of another. Yeah. So you know, it, it could well be that that Saudi Arabia buys a stake in in Liverpool, for example. Um, just to just to kind of add to what I've already said, one of the one of the keys to understanding how investment coming out of the the gulf works is is to understand fandom in the gulf region right and and in some ways in many ways it's just exactly the same as here which is your family is really important so you know your mom your dad say you you are going to support whoever you're going to support but Mm -hmm. saudi arabian families are very hierarchical okay and what that means is, you know, we 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 live in very flat families, you know. So the kids and the parents, we're we're all equal, and we all, you know, we all sit around and have a family chat and a discussion about how we're going to do things. In in Saudi Arabia, there's a guy. Normally, it's a guy at the top of the family, and they say, "This is what's going to happen." And and you've got to keep in mind that the the heads of families were, you know, they, they were kind of they were young dudes in the 1970s and you got to keep in mind what was happening in the 1970s is 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 liverpool was winning lots of trophies you know yeah. so liverpool liverpool back then was one of the best clubs in the world and so what you notice about fandom in the gulf region is you've got lots of older guys saying to their kids and their grandkids you will be a liverpool fan right and and so you know you might you might say well what about manchester united and all their success well you know, they're not heads those guys are not heads of families yet they're too young you know the guys who are heads of families who are in their 50s their 60s their 70s were were around in the 1970s when Liverpool was successful and so this could well be another reason why they look at Liverpool rather than Manchester United and as I say if you look if you look at the research that the research that we've done Liverpool always 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 comes out very very well in terms of fandom in the Gulf region
1: so just to For our last point, to bring it back to Newcastle United. um, Does that mean Newcastle United? Well, my final question was sort of how are they being received in Saudi? They're obviously doing very well. They're ahead, probably ahead of schedule in terms of uh, where they are in the table, in terms of sort of prospects for next season. Um, And they've also been over there twice now, um, most recently for this warm weather training camp. Are we are, like? Am I to am I to infer from what you're saying that if this continues in like thirty or forty years, the kids of those families who then become the heads of those families might instill a love of Newcastle United, or is it already there?
2: So I think that you know, kind of if 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 we if we imagine these hierarchical families in Riyadh. Uh, where where dad is saying you know you 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 know, you will worship eddie how and, and yeah. you know and and you and, and you will go to newcastle on your holiday in the summer and go to see st james's park then of course you know in terms of fandom 20 25 30 years from here absolutely you know that's what yeah. I'm saying but I, I think what's really interesting about Saudi contemporary Saudi Arabia is is that um it's 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 just incredible something like 71 or 72 percent of the population is aged under 35 Wow. Um, and 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 so this is a generation of, of young people who, who's been who have been born and brought up on the internet, you know, they, they use social media. You don't you know this is not China, you don't have restrictions on social media in the same way as you have in China. So they're watching TikTok, they're watching YouTube, um, they're also increasingly affluent. Many of them have been overseas to, to receive a Western education, mm-hmm. and they're really pushing the Saudi Arabian government to you know, to kind of relax this conservative doctrine, and that's conservative with a small c, that, is, that yeah, yeah. has existed in Saudi Arabia, you know, put in simple terms, you know, young people are saying to the government, give us something to do, you know, give us something to watch, give us give, give us somewhere to go, give, give us something to enjoy ourselves. One of the, one of the things that the Saudi Arabian government, and keep in mind the royal family is the government, is really concerned about is, is a, a Arab Spring, Arab Spring 2.0, right so what they don't want is they don't want, want lots of disaffected young people out on the streets protesting against the royal family um, and and destabilizing the uh, the government um, and so what saudi arabia is trying to do anyway you know, this this is you know kind of this is genuine this is not me speculating this is genuine you see it in qatar you see it in abu dhabi and dubai is you give those young people what they want. So you give them a football club and you give them Premier League football and you invite Newcastle United over and you can wear wear the replica kit. And oh my goodness, the third shirt even looks like the Saudi Arabian national team shirt. And and so this is very much, a, it, it's not just about oil and gas and investment and politics. It's also about some of socio cultural transformations that are taking place inside Saudi Arabia. And so now those young people, instead of having to think, well, you know what, the pro league's a bit naff. And, uh, you know, we have to go, we, we're kind of governed by this very, very austere um, government, you know, kind of Islamic doctrine. Now what you've got is young people thinking, wow, you know, we've got stars. We've got great players, you know, they, they even got the World Cup and we're fourth in the Premier League or third in the Premier League. And so that changes the sociocultural dynamic inside the country.
1: That's so interesting. Um, I wonder how it'll progress. Like, I just, I find it really interesting as an observer. I wonder what sort of what's next within the country.
2: So what's next in the country is there is uh, the 2030 National Vision, which right. is, uh, a, 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 and, and, and you see the same thing in Qatar, the same thing in Dubai, the same thing in Abu Dhabi, because they all copy each other. Yes. Um, and, 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 and I think this is a really, really important part. National Vision is one thing. Um, but the, but the other thing is is how they copy the others, mm-hmm. and so if you want le- if you want lessons in in what's going to happen next, is take a look at what's happening in Qatar now. Take a look at what's happening in Dubai. We know that as the Qatar World Cup has been taking place, the Dubai Cup has been taking place uh, with Arsenal, Liverpool, Lyon and AC Milan. Yeah. Um, Obviously, we know some of those really big infrastructural projects like Neom and Chidia. Neom is very often mentioned. Chidia is, is mentioned less often. Chidia is about 40, 40 minutes outside Riyadh. This is going to be the world's biggest sports city when it's, fin- when it's finished. So give it four or five years, and we'll see Newcastle United going to Chidia to play exhibition games in this world's biggest sports city. Um, so that absolutely is, is going to happen next. But I, I think to go back to the, the the part about copying. I think we will see other Saudi Arabian teams across the world. Uh, there have been rumors about Marseille. There have been rumors about Inter Milan. I think that will happen. Uh, we we my view is, and, and and if you want to put money on this, you can blame me if you can come and find me. Um, is is I think Saudi Arabia will win the right to stage the 2030 World Cup. I think it will. Uh, and and you may you may have heard, read reports that this will be a joint bid with with Egypt and Greece. Uh, Saudi Arabian government strategy is to position the country as an Afro-Eurasian hub, yeah, so kind of kind of the center of the world. And and of course, Egypt provides the African part, Greece provides the Eurasian part, uh, Saudi Arabia pro- provides the uh, the, the Asian part. And it, al- it
1: also offers some kind of like. Particularly, the um, affiliation with Greece offers some kind of tempering to the idea that this is all sports washing because the country has this Islamic rule and it's all horrible and it's all of that stuff. So, sort of that affiliation kind of offers a, or maybe it doesn't,
2: but I think it does. Uh, So, from seen from FIFA's point of view, particularly Infantino Infantino's point of view, keep in mind that twenty thirty. Uh, is the centenary of the World Cup? Oh wow! Uh, and and so for Infantino, we'll be able to say, look for the centenary. I didn't just take it to one or two countries. I took okay. it to three continents, and and so it makes good sense for Saudi Arabia. It makes good sense for uh, for FIFA, Egypt. For anybody who knows anything about Egyptian football, you are talking about huge crowds. Mm-hmm. You're talking about the uh, the Cairo Derby, for example. You're talking about a 100, 110,000 people sometimes going to these games. I'm
1: crazy, yeah.
2: And so, but the other thing as well is is if you're creating international and diplomatic relationships in the East Mediterranean, that gives you a lot of power. Mm-hmm. One of the other countries that re- that's really interested in East Mediterranean is China. If you look historically, one of the countries that had a big interest in the East Mediterranean was Britain. Mm-hmm. So strategically, this gives Saudi Arabia much greater influence over the Mediterranean. You, you know, you've got influence over who goes through the Suez Canal, for example. Right.
1: I was going to say the canal.
2: <laughs> yeah. Um, so what, what am I saying? You know, I would ex- the story about Ronaldo to, to Saudi Arabia is genuine and real. Whether or not it happens, I think, remains to be seen. But if Ronaldo does go to Saudi Arabia, I expect we'll see him as some kind of World Cup ambassador. Yeah. Um, Keeping in mind that the bid is due to be... The the success or failure of of whoever bids is due to be announced in 2024. Oh, it's quite soon. So, you know, we could see Newcastle United playing a role as being an ambassadorial role ahead of 2024. But, of course... If Saudi Arabia, Egypt and Greece um, are successful moving forward from 2024 to 2030, you know, in terms of sponsorship deals, in terms of commercial partnerships, in terms of the ambassadorial role that Newcastle United plays, that 2024 bid announcement is going to be really important potentially for the club
1: oh that's something to keep an eye on that's really interesting simon i i honestly could sit and talk to you for ages but we've we've taken <laughs> too much of your time i think already so i will let us wrap up there um perhaps we can talk again in the summer um if, if you're up for
2: it yeah let's uh, let, let's see what happens in the in the next six months and then come yeah, back yeah, to it yeah. again because yeah, uh, we can uh, yeah. just
1: have these like half yearly check-ins and, yeah yeah uh, no, that, we, uh,
2: that can, we can do it's that it's all
1: moving so quickly that i think uh-huh. you know there'll be plenty to talk about i mean obviously um, even
2: if you may have seen even the the kind of super league ruling that's just been announced right. this morning
1: yeah. yeah so that's very fresh so um Let me digest and I'll I'll come back to you. Um, But thank you once again so much for joining us on the True Faith Podcast. As I say, um, our normal sort of schedule will resume. Thankfully, club football is back in just a couple of weeks and we've got a cup game ahead of that too. So uh, we'll be previewing and doing all of that good stuff on our Patreon. Please do join us there. We have various tiers, so you don't have to go the full hog if you're not too sure you just want to dip a toe in the water that's absolutely fine by us Um, and we'll be back with you after Rio thank you so much